We thank you that uh, authority does not lie in man, but in what you've given us. And we ask that you'd open our eyes and as we see what you've given us to, to um, learn this morning, that we would be changed by it, transformed, be different, and leave here more on mission, more worshipful, better disciples uh, because of what you did through your word. And so we pray it, trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're moving through the series, uh, <laughs> Our Mission, and as, as, as I prepare these messages, I realize, you know, this is one of my weak spots. You know, I, I don't stand up here like somebody saying, you know, I'm this awesome evangelist. Here's a bunch of photo slides of a bunch of people that I get, you know, brought to the Lord this week or whatever. Um, this is difficult. And there are re- a lot of different reasons why we struggle with evangelism, right? With sharing uh, the gospel with somebody. I mean, we spend a lot of time learning this stuff. Right on Sundays, and we read books, and hopefully we're doing our devotionals. We're reading the Bible, and we're we're learning a lot. But there's not a lot of sharing. You know, there's not a lot of go and getting. Uh, we pray a lot for people to come to our church, right? And come, and we hope they come, and they're so like they love the service that they stick. But are we going and getting? You know, <laughs> and what, one of the things I'm struck with as we're reading through this uh, passage that Matthew has here, this chunk. Uh, which we've divided into six sermons, Uh, there's not a lot of establish something and then invite people to it. I don't see any of that. And it's not that that's wrong, but from the very beginning, it wasn't a come come see what we have. It was a go get people. Go knock on doors, grab people, start conversations, touch people's lives, talk to them about me. And and it's a going and getting. And I think um, if you're like me, it was very easy growing up uh, to just kind of put, put money in the plate and hope that the church does something and hope that the church puts on an event or maybe brings in an awesome worship artist to do a concert or maybe an evangelist like Luis Palau or something, and then we can invite people to it. But there's not a lot of us going out to tell people when that's the biblical model, right? So why don't we do that a lot? Why don't I do it enough? <laughs> Well, there's a lot of different reasons. It, it, some of it could be laziness, you know? We just, you know, don't want to spend that extra time or have those difficult conversations. It's tiring. It's difficult. Um, it's a lot of prayerfulness that goes behind it. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why, but I, I, think, I think the main reason why is we're scared. I, I think it's just a scary endeavor, you know, to take... A message that is unpopular, a message that people hate, to proclaim yourself as someone that's maligned in, in the papers, on TV, in movies, that, that is made fun of by talk show hosts, by comedians, and to go out there and say, I'm one of those guys, I'm one of those ladies, let me tell you about Jesus. When Jesus isn't just something that people use as a cuss word anymore, but it's ridiculed. It's just laughable. And that's scary to go out there. We fear it. Some of the things we fear, (laughs) I think one of the things we fear is, what what will I say? You know, even if it's served to me on a silver platter, we're at a restaurant and the person is pouring out their guts about my life and, and my problems, my issues, 
And I feel the Spirit telling me, like, say, hey, say something to them, you know, say something to them. And it's like, well, what would I say? What if they have a question and I don't know how to answer it? What if I start quoting a verse like I'm fancy and then I get stuck and I don't remember the rest of the verse and then I misquote it, you know? What if I say the wrong thing or don't remember the pastor's sermon correctly and I mess it up and I actually, you know, end up uh, converting them to Buddhism or something, you know, because I just got all mixed up or something, you know? What am I going to say? We fear, what are they going to say? What are they going to say to me? Are they going to ridicule me? Or are they going to laugh? Are they going to... Um, what, what sort of response am I going to get from them? What will they do? Will they just end our friendship? Will they report it to our boss? <laughs> will they, what, what will they do? Spread rumors about me? That, what, what will they do? I'm afraid that they're going to do something, not in a positive response to the gospel, but in a negative response, do something. And I think at the end of the day, we just feel alone. We feel vulnerable. It's easy to spread the gospel inside the church walls, guys, right? It's easy for five of us to jump one person that's new in the pew. Hey, let's tell you about Jesus. Did you hear the sermon? Yeah, and slap him on the back and make sure you got a bulletin and, you know, fill out the card and we love you. Jesus is awesome. But when the tables are turned and you're in a restaurant and you're surrounded by six co-workers and none of them believe in Jesus and you're the only one, where's that same person? <laughs> where's, where is that? We, we, we retreat, right, because it's scary, And I think this passage that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 10, uh, helps answer that for us, right? How how can we overcome that fear of persecution, that fear of um, ostracism, that that fear of being pushed back on to evangelize? And that's in Matthew chapter 10. If you turn there, if you didn't bring a Bible or if your phone is low on battery, I know that's like half of you now, right? Your iPad, uh, there's, pew, there's pew Bibles, you can grab one of those. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. First book in the New Testament, 10th chapter. And I want to draw your attention to verse 16. Jesus just finished telling them, I'm going to send you out in twos, and you're going to talk to people proclaiming the kingdom. You're going to go out there. And, and you're going to go to, from town to town, village to village. You're going to explain the gospel. You're going to preach to people. And he says, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> Pause there a second. Okay? Jesus didn't sugarcoat what this mission was about. And, and I think the disciples could appreciate that, although maybe it wasn't fun to hear it in the time. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. What do wolves do? To sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep surrounded by wolves. You know what I mean? Not 30 sheep and there's like a wolf. 30 wolves and there's a sheep. That's the imagery that he, you're, you're the sheep going into a pack of wolves. What would happen in that picture? You're going to get eaten alive. Right? So, <laughs> he... he he tells them, here's what you're going to take, here's what you're going to say, here's what you're going to go do, and you're going to go do this mission. And by the way, you're going to get beaten up, ridiculed, killed, murdered. So go and do your thing. You know. <laughs> he, he let them know that persecution is inevitable. Anytime you take the gospel to a non-gospel world, persecution is going to happen. It's going to happen. So the answer is not, you have nothing to fear. Just go out there and share the word. And everybody, at, everyone at that 
a table is going to just like, wow, that's so amazing. The gospel. You're actually going to make more friends by explaining the gospel. Guys, no, no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said from the very beginning, you will be persecuted. You will be eaten alive. Right, so as he sends them out, um, there are no confusions about what, what this is. This isn't a cakewalk. This isn't easy. Uh, but at the same time, he's not giving them an option, right? He, he's not saying, so if you decide to go, just know it's going to be tough. And we live option Christianity, right? Where we, we watch the movie End of the Spear and we're like, wow, Jim Elliott and Nate Satan, those guys, they got speared to death by those tribal guys. And we're just like, wow, that's just crazy. That's amazing that those people, they're the heroes of the faith. You know, those are the Christians that go out. I'm a different breed. I'm the Christian that kind of stays in. But, but in the beginning, since the beginning, Jesus didn't make that distinction. He goes, you guys are disciples. You're going to go out. And when you go out, you're going to be eaten alive. So he says, in verse 16, he says, So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Uh, in other words, be sharp, be smart. Don't knowingly step into situations that you know, might be problematic. Um, don't be foolish. Uh, be careful. Uh, so we think of missionaries that sneak Bibles in to the country. Uh, to the country that they're going where Bibles aren't allowed. Well, they're being shrewd. They're not being scared. They're just trying to get the mission done, right? They're being shrewd. But also be innocent. Be innocent. Um, don't give people a reason to persecute you. Don't, you know, storm the, the cubicles at your office building and, um, you know, stand up on a table and just start yelling, hey, everybody interrupting your work because this message is more important. You know, now you got fired. Now you have no voice and you don't see those people anymore. And now they won't get the gospel. That's just not smart. Um, it's foolish. So be smart, be innocent, and um, be careful. Verse 17, be wary, beware of men. Don't, you don't have to just go looking for persecution, but beware, for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in the synagogues. He's speaking specifically of what the disciples would soon experience in their own lifetime. They'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And so he makes it very clear, persecution is going to happen. Now in our context, we don't have synagogues that we're going to get dragged into and flogged, right? But um, <laughs> that would be horrible. But um, in our context, we wouldn't even be arrested. You know, we wouldn't even be, um, mostly we wouldn't lose our jobs or our livelihood just to share the gospel. We would just lose comfort. But that's enough to scare us. Because we don't know what we're going to say, we don't know what they're going to say, we don't know what they're going to do, and we feel alone in the whole thing. But as Jesus unpacks these next few verses, listen, listen to this. As Jesus unpacks these next verses, here's his message. He's saying, you will overcome fear. You will overcome the fear of sharing the gospel if you understand that God is sovereign. I know we use that word a lot in church, sovereign. What does sovereign mean? You know, he's in charge. He's over all things. He is, he is above everything, watching. He's involved. He's not a God that just spun the world into existence and backed off and just watches and entertains himself with us. He, he's involved. He's pulling strings. He's orchestrating divine appointments. He's making sure things are happening. He's divinely involved as an authority. He's sovereign. Like we sang that song, he's in control, right? What kind of difference does that make in your life? 
that God is in control. I don't understand the Christians, how they read the Bible and come away with it. And they're like, I think God is kind of just figuring it all out with us as he goes along. No, that's what we're doing. He's God, right? Capital G. And he's over all things. He didn't create Adam and Eve and be like, oh, there's a fruit that they bit. I didn't see. I should have built a fence. He knew what was going on. All right? From the beginning, he planned that his son would come. He, it's planned out that the serpent would get crushed that way. Uh, he, he's not like, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a financial crisis and some of my people are losing jobs, oh, I'm biting my nails. He's in control. We bite our nails and we're freaked out. But that's because we don't understand something about God's character. And that's sovereignty. And so look at what he says. He says, one of the things you're going to be concerned about is what you're going to say. right? He says in verse 19, when they deliver you over... Do not be anxious, do not be scared, do not worry, do not be fearful about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Right, so he's saying in that moment, right in that moment when they're, when they're asking you to renounce Christ or they're asking you what is it that you really believe, the Spirit in that moment will give you what it is that you're supposed to say. Now, that does not mean that we don't do Bible studies and we just walk around and as soon as we get asked a question, we just go like this. And then God gives us this awesome theological answer and we spit it out. No, there's preparation involved. Some of you might remember in John 14, right around 26, Jesus is telling his disciples the Spirit is going to come and the Spirit is going to teach them and remind them of everything that they've been taught. Right? So if it's a reminder, that means study has already taken place. Right? I'm not, if I got something new in the moment, that wouldn't be a reminder. But if the spirit, part of the Spirit's ministry is to remind me, what is He reminding me of? Reminding me of that devotional that I had, that sermon that I took notes on, that small group that I went to, all those verses that I'm learning, those things about God that I'm learning, the things about the gospel that I'm understanding. And then in that moment, He reminds me what to say. Um... I had a, um, <laughs> a teacher once who said that he was in a group of uh, like maybe 20 preachers and he asked them how, how they prepare their sermons. And one of them said, I don't prepare. The Spirit gives it to me in the moment. You know, as I'm walking to the, up to the pulpit, the Spirit gives it to me in that moment. And then the teacher asked him, has he ever given you a bad one? <laughs> I thought that was genius, you know, because either he's going to say... Uh, no, he hasn't given me a bad one, in which case he would say all his sermons are perfect. Or he would say, yes, he has given me a bad one, in which case it sounds like he's blaming God, you know. So I just thought, this guy's a genius. That's like a Jesus response, right? Has he ever given you a bad one? Um, ironically, the guy said no. So anyway. Um, <laughs> Jesus isn't saying don't do any homework, don't understand anything about the gospel, and just go out there, and if, when you're asked questions, stuff will just come out of your mouth. No. But the Spirit will remind you, He'll teach you, He'll give you what you need in those moments when you need it most. Uh, Jesus gave the Great Commission and said, Behold, I'll be with you always. So He's, he's behind this. He's sovereign over this. Um, in that moment, that's a divine appointment, and God is setting this up to use you to do something. If that person changes because God did something, it's not going to be because you said the perfect things, or you have all uh, you know, six theological texts memorized, and you have so many verses memorized, you just start spouting them off at people. People don't get saved because you just memorize a bunch of stuff. 
They get saved because something you said hit them in a certain way and it starts to make them think and now they're starting to dream at night and they're waking up and they're like, what's going on? That's the Spirit doing that. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to say because I'm, God is sovereign over this. And the Holy Spirit is superintending this whole process. Do you understand? It's not on your shoulders. I used to think that as, as a kid, I'd be witnessing to somebody, and I'm pulling out everything that I can, like awesome verses that I had posted, noted, and everything, and I'm like looking, and the person is right there, and I'm like, so you want to come to Jesus? And it's like, no. And I'm like, what in the world did I do? You know, use, should I use different verses, a different translation? Should I have gone longer, shorter? And I'll drive myself nuts thinking, what could I have done that was better? And it has nothing to do with what I did. He's resisting the work of the Spirit. And so God is, Jesus is saying, don't, don't worry about what you're going to say or even how you're going to say it. The Spirit will give you what you need in that time. Then he reminds them again what this is about, that persecution is inevitable. Verse, 20, for it is, uh, verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Even your closest relative, your spouse, your children, your parents, your cousin, your brother, your sister, as close as a, a relation as you can get, those will be broken when you start talking Jesus stuff. And it won't just be like, you know what, hey, how about you go your way, I'll go mine. They'll hate you. They'll hate you. And you know that's not an unfounded fear. That is something that's a reality. But you still shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of what to say. And you shouldn't be afraid of what they'll say. He says, verse um, 22, at the end of 22, He who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A quick footnote right there. You know, you've looked at this passage before and you say, well, if, all, if they weren't supposed to go through all the towns of Israel before Jesus came back, how come Jesus hasn't come back yet? Israel's not that big. Well, gone through is a translation of the word finish. And so literally, you will not finish all the towns of Israel. Now, has Israel been finished in terms of being evangelized? Not even close. <laughs> not even close. So th- that's what he's saying. He's saying this task of evangelism, this mission, is not going to be done. It's not going to be finished until I come back. But then he says... Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called his master the house of Beelzebub, in other words, Jesus is saying, if they think I'm Satan, what do you think they're going to think of you if you're my disciple? How much more will they malign you, hate you, ridicule you, persecute you, those of the master's household? But then verse 26, even though it's a daunting task, even though you're going like sheep into a wolf's den, Verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. I I had trouble with that verse. I had to look at where else Jesus uses that. In Luke chapter 12, he says the same thing. He's talking about the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees are guilty of using religion and duping people and actually, rather than saving them, sending them to hell. And there's a special judgment for creeps like that. 
that use the Bible. That's why I get mad when I turn on the TV and people are like, here's a Bible verse, I'm going to spin it around and could dial the number at the bottom of the thing and you can get a yacht like me. I mean, you're just sending people to hell with that nonsense. And using the Bible to do it, that's like another degree. Here's like serial killers right here, and then here's people that send people to hell using the Bible to do it. It's disgusting. And in that passage in Luke 12, Jesus is saying, there will come a time when, Jesus, when God settles all scores. And the things that people were doing in secret, you know, telling people the Bible verses out here, but in reality over here, they're just building something for themselves, that's going to be exposed. And all these political pundits that, you know, that say that Christians are this and Christians are that, that's going to be exposed and they're going to see the truth. And scores are going to be settled. And so he's saying, don't fear them like they're the highest court. Don't fear their opinion like their opinion is the one that matters most. In the end, their opinion is going to matter nothing. And the only opinion that's going to matter is mine. Because God is judge. Because he's sovereign. Not this country not your you know, townhome association, not your family, not your co-workers. God is sovereign. And all of these people that malign you and persecute you are going to report to him one day. And that does something to appease our fears because suddenly they're not in charge. You know, they, they might be able to do something now. They might be able to make it difficult for us. But in the end, when all things are said and done, those things that are hidden will be exposed. Um, and God will settle all accounts. And we start that exposing now. We start that exposing now. We start explaining what the gospel is to people who don't get it. And that's what he says in the next verse. He says, um, verse 27, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Why? Because hopefully they don't have to wait till that time when everything gets revealed if they can get it revealed to them now. Do you understand? If it gets revealed then when it's too late, they, they don't get salvation, guys. They don't get salvation. So suddenly you're looking at your persecutor and you're like, this is somebody that's blind. This is somebody that doesn't see what's coming. And if I can get the gospel to them and, and if the spirit can massage it into their hearts, maybe their eyes can be opened now and it starts to be revealed to them now. Those hidden things in secret start getting exposed now before it's too late. And that does something to overcome your fear where you realize there's something bigger than my petty fears here. There's something bigger at stake. And then he says in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. <laughs> if I were to pick four points to explain to you evangelism, that probably wouldn't be one of them. God will kill you. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe we can just skip that part now. <laughs> What is that? What kind of encouragement is that? Hey, guys, I just want you to know, you don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear them. You have to fear God. You know, but that's what he's saying. You know, people like to say, well, there was an Old Testament God, and he was real harsh. And he was like, lightning, you know, like, oh, you will obey me. Serve me only, blah, blah, blah. 
And then over time, God matured, and his son was like, Dad, stop being grumpy. And then, you know, Dad sent his son. He's like, all right, son, go ahead and try it your way. And then Jesus came, and soft hair like wool, and he cuddled everybody, and you know what I'm saying? And, and John lay on his head, and he just went like this. And you know what I'm saying? We just get this picture, and he carried lambs everywhere, and he kind of glowed, Right? And it's a different God from the Old Testament. We're like, what in the world? And that's why we have all these pocket New Testaments. They leave the Old Testament out. It's too big. And people want to stick it in their pocket. And plus, the Old Testament's confusing anyway. We just want to tell them, John 3.16, God loved the world, blah, blah, blah. None of this lightning and people touching the ark and dying and all this kind of crazy stuff. Let's just get to Jesus. Well, let's get to Jesus. God will kill you. <laughs> then when you get to Revelation, you know, when the guy comes on the horse and the sword is hanging out of his mouth and he's like slashing everybody down. That's Jesus. <laughs> it's not God the Father. God is watching. And Jesus is executing because he has the right. His cross was the one that was rejected. He's the one that's being maligned. And he settles the scores in the end. So what he's saying here is you can fear people. You can fear losing your job. You can fear getting arrested. You can fear getting um, executed. Okay, Depending on where you are in the world, that's happening today. But in the end, you should fear the one who will give you that eternal consequence of eternal separation, eternal death, because you never did what you needed to do to make you sure that you're in relationship with him. And if you're in relationship with him, you proclaim it. You say it to people, and yes, they can harm you. Yes, they can harm you. He's saying it right there. You can be ridiculed. You might lose some friends. You might get defriended on Facebook. You, know? you might have that awkward conversation at work. Maybe you show up, you stop getting invited to those lunch meetings. You know, like, hey, I wasn't invited this time. What, what, what's up with that? And that, feels, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, that doesn't feel good. Don't fear what they can do to you. Fear what God would do to you if you didn't know him. But you do know him. You do know him. And so look what he says next. But God, you know, if you're a believer, you're a disciple, you're a proclaimer of the gospel, God's not going to kill you. Because look what he says, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. And so what he says there is um, <laughs> it's pretty simple. What he's saying there is, God is over all this. He's sovereign over this. He's not going to let you experience anything that's too difficult for you to experience. He's not going to let you run into anything that he's not going to prepare you to face. He's not going to let anything happen to you that he, in his perfect wisdom, hasn't decided to allow that thing to happen to you. And so if we trust that, if we know that, there's no reason to fear that conversation. There's no reason to fear to approach that stranger or that person that you've known for years to proclaim the gospel to that person. When we start realizing that God is sovereign and control over all these things. And when you start training your kid to ride a bike, you know they can do it. You know they can do it. But, but when they know that you're behind them holding the back of the seat, right, and you're running behind them and the training wheels are off, and they just know that you're there, suddenly they're able to do it, you know? And so it's like God is saying, I want you to do this, but know that I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm not going to take you into any path that I don't want you to go to. I'm not going to run you into the street. Oh, my goodness, there's a semi, you know, and then I'm going to bail on you. I, I know where we're going. I know what we're doing. I know how to do this. And I'm behind you. I'm with you. I'm over all of these things. 
And I just got the sense that, you know, reading this message, this passage, especially this week, I just thought, man, how much more bold would I be if I really understood that God's approval of me is more important than man's approval of me? That me being in God's hands is more important than me being in the hands of men? That eternity matters more than this particular moment? And all those things get wrapped up into a little bundle of theology called sovereignty. That he's in control. What's awesome about this passage is Jesus did not say, I'm sending you like sheep into the midst of wolves. I hope everything works out. You know? I'm sending you like sheep into the midst of wolves, but I'm the good shepherd. My rod and my staff, they comfort you. Right? He's the rock. He's the refuge. He's the fortress. He's the one in whom we trust. And so we're not going out there just by ourselves. We're going out there with the shepherd. I've told some of you that story where, um, <laughs> where I almost got kidnapped. You know, I was standing in a toy aisle. I remember how old I was. And this older teenager, looked like a teen to me, older teens or something, it's like, hey, come with me. And he gave me some spiel about he was an authority or something. And something that struck me odd. So I like pulled my arm away and I just ran from him as fast as I could. Started calling for my dad who was like two aisles down looking at tools or something. And I finally saw my dad and, and he came over and he took me by the hand. And then he starts hunting down the aisles. You know, he's looking for this guy, you know. And now I'm looking for him too. The, the guy that I was running from, now I'm looking for him because I'm holding the hand of my dad, you know. And it's like authority, power, you know, like my dad, right? And we never found him. I remember in the car I asked him, well, what would you have done if you found him, you know. And he was like, I'll beat the snot out of him or something. I don't know. He probably would have gotten arrested. But anyway, it's probably good that we didn't find him. Um, the confidence level that goes up because you're not by yourself. Because the, the father is there, you know. Jesus saying, I'm sending you out, but I'm with you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Spirit's going to be there. Don't worry about what they could do. Worry about what the Father can do. And what's the Father going to do? Watch over you and protect you. And make sure that anything you experience, He's giving you the power to experience it. All you have to be concerned with is proclaiming the gospel. No more excuses. Go up to that person. Let the Spirit prompt you. Hey, say something. Like that. It's at a gas station. I don't know who that person is. We're pumping gas. It's probably awkward. Do it. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? The fear doesn't match the comfort and protection we get from God's sovereignty. So the fear gets squashed. That means we speak and we proclaim. I want to ask the ushers to come forward so we can uh, take communion. And um, <laughs> when we think of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, guys, I mean... That was bold. That was facing fear. And um, what we do is we, we respond to the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. As these elements are passed out, right, we don't want to take these and kind of just not, not connect with the Lord. Um, the Bible tells us you eat and drink judgment on yourself if you take wrongly. What does that mean? There's something between you and God, and you're not, you're not dealing with it. You're kind of sticking it in a closet, and you're pushing the door shut, you know, and you're kind of, <laughs> you're just resisting what the Lord is doing in your life. Um, as these elements are going out and Mike is playing softly, now is the time to confess, to repent. The Lord is pressing something on you, repent, confess to Him, um, and clear that with Him so that you can take appropriately, okay? Uh, if you're a believer and you're clear with God, this is for you.
At the end of this book, the book of Matthew, um, Matthew records when Jesus instituted what we're doing right now. And they were sitting around a table celebrating the Passover. And it says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat together. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink together. Father, as we close in the song of worship, we ask that you would press down deep into our hearts the truth of your gospel, that this broken body, this spilled blood, uh, was so that we can experience an eternal relationship with you and help us to have the courage and the boldness to share that with those who don't know you. Uh, encourage us, Lord, as we sing this song of praise and thanks to uh, your sovereignty. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Though trials should come 